when you strip away judicial independence for hundreds of crimes, we're not having the old conversation anymore about, about mandatory minimum sentences. We are now telling judges that for hundreds of crimes, you have no discretion. You have to let the individual go. And then everybody seems to wonder why we have a recidivism problem. My son, Sergeant Hassan Korea, Afghanistan war retired veteran, um, 35 years old, was uh, murdered in Harlem in 2018. Hassan was stabbed through the eyeball, through the top of his head. James Saunders, the brother with the knife, was uh, basically what they're calling a homicidal maniac who had no business being out in the street from the begin with. He has an extensive violent, you know, uh, felony history. Christopher Saunders also has a, an extensive violent history. The only person who didn't have any priors was the sister, Mary. Um, Mary is the one who held Hassan's arms from behind while her brother James stabbed him. And when Hassan was able to break away and run into the street, Mary chased him and um, the others followed and she tripped him. And uh, they all piled on top of him and started kicking, punching, stomping while James continued to stab. The four people who killed my son, uh, three of them are siblings, two brothers, a sister and their friend. They're between the ages of 35 and 40 years old. So these are not children that we're talking about. We're talking about full, full grown adults. Um, Hassan was kicked, punched, stomped, and stabbed nine times. Um, he died from a fatal stab wound to his heart at the scene. The case is still ongoing. Two of the people, Mary and Travis, um, have had their charges dismissed. Um, all four were charged and indicted for first degree gang assault and second degree murder. The entire incident was captured on video. There's no mistaking any role that any one of them played. There are two or three judges that saw the video and said that everybody's exposure was significant to the homicide. I'm expecting for everybody to go to trial until the new administration in the Manhattan District Attorney's office takes over Alvin Bragg and um, bail reform. Uh, all of a sudden, now they cannot prove that Mary or Travis are guilty of this gang assault or murder. When for three and a half years, the case was trial ready strong trial-ready case they were handed by a district attorney who um, stepped down. They were leaving in droves the Manhattan District Attorney's Office because they knew that they would not be able to prosecute the cases, you know, that their, in, their integrity, you know, uh, would have been compromised. They couldn't, in good conscience, drop charges against people where they knew that they had the evidence to, you know, take these people to trial and get convictions. Mary was sentenced to one year time served. She, her charges were uh, dropped to assault with a shoe. Um, I actually have the documents with Alvin Bragg's signature on it. All right, that's what she's charged with, assault with a shoe 
she never saw the inside of another jail cell and she never will so um you know that show i almost got away with it actually mary saunders got away with it she got away with murder and uh travis stewart was charged with attempted gang assault and he was sentenced to seven years sometimes i think that the moms where arrests weren't made in the murders of their children are better off than the moms where arrests were made because they are gonna be drugged through a process that has no mercy on them like the people had no mercy on our children when they killed them. It's been a complete nightmare. It's been a very, very horrific experience for me, especially since this new administration took over. They gave this new district attorney who has no compassion whatsoever. She had, she's soulless. She has no soul, no empathy, no nothing. She's the one who dropped the charges. The original bail reform law, which was passed in 2019, there were 300 separate offenses that the judge had to let you go. One of them was carrying a gun on school grounds. Now why? Why was that in the bill? Was it because some Democrat wanted a school shooting? No. It's because they knew the statistics that drug crimes and gun crimes oftentimes happen on school property after hours or on the weekends. And so they wanted to make it more difficult for the gangbangers that were on school property and got arrested. They wanted to make it more difficult for those guys to be held. They knew the statistics and they tailored the law specifically for that purpose. That just gives you a glimpse of how insidious this is. One in five that are arrested today in 60 days has committed a felony and is back again before a judge. In 60 days, one in five that commit a crime. It's just absolutely insane and it cannot stay that way. And if it does, people are gonna to continue to leave this great city. New York City was once the safest big city in the country, maybe even the world. The Get Tough era of former mayors Rudolph Giuliani and Michael Bloomberg brought stability and safety to a city fraught with crime throughout the 1970s and 80s. During their tenures, the rate of crime in New York City dropped dramatically. Violent crime dropped 56%, and property crimes fell even further, to 65%. In 2013, Bill de Blasio campaigned on ending stop and frisk, and openly spoke of warning his biracial son against interacting with the police. Following the death of George Floyd and subsequent protests, de Blasio vowed to defund the police and cut $1 billion from their budget. Crime exploded. Burglaries rose 42%, vehicle theft went up 67%, shootings almost doubled, and caused a 44% spike in homicides. New York City plunged back into danger, and liberal policies like bail reform threatened to keep it that way for the foreseeable future. Now, New York City 
we were very proud of this. It was the safest big city in America. And uh, it certainly is not that now. It's changed in a very dramatic uh, way. We had a police commissioner back then, Kelly, and he was outstanding. He's the longest serving police officer that became police commissioner in the city of New York. So working with uh, Commissioner Kelly was really, really good because it kept our city safe. You knew where the city was going. You knew where the patches of crime were. You knew how to get the undercover police officers in there and uniform and clean up this city. It was a lot, lot safer and a better place to live and to raise a family. 20 years ago, I was the police commissioner. It was just a year after the horrific events of 9-11. But we were all on the same team. We were pulling together. We brought in a lot of expertise to help us rebuild Lower Manhattan. Today, we're, we're uh, separate. We have uh, a society that seems to be uh, split. And people are a lot more concerned now than they were then as far as street crime. Regular uh, old-fashioned robberies and uh, muggings. Uh, people are afraid to ride the subway now because of some of the terrible events that have happened here in the last couple of years. People pushed on tracks, that, that sort of thing. Bodega owners every day get looted, get assaulted, get robbed, get spat at, get cheated, and they have to deal with it. Cab drivers, the same thing. They're serving low-income neighborhoods where crime is high. They take risks, yet they pay with their lives. They pay with losing their business. So a lot of small businesses are relocating. New York City is a ghost town. The fear of crime is as important as the crime itself in New York because you, you can see it, you can see it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. The high-end stores along Madison Avenue, they have a queue outside, they're only buzzing people in one or, one or two at a time. Stores are closing early. You know, it's a real ripple effect from, uh, from crime that uh, a lot of people may not be aware of. The closest this today that I can compare it to would have been like in the late 1980s, uh, 70s and 80s when crime was out of control. In fact, when my son moved to Manhattan about 14, 15 years ago, I would tell him these stories and he looked at me like I was talking about the prehistoric age. He couldn't believe that the city where he would walk home at any time of the day and night without even thinking about it. Now, now he sees what you know, the other side of it is, homeless people everywhere. Uh, he's been, had three or four pretty tough incidents on the subway with people another time. Three guys tried to jump him on the West Side Highway. So this is a world that he never knew about before. And what I'm telling you about him, I mean, he's really lucky. Nothing ever really happened. But so many other people I know or hear about have been, you know, uh, violently assaulted, threatened, seeing really disgusting scenes on the, on the street. Bodega owners and taxi drivers like Kooten, who was just killed a few weeks ago, because fair beaters, four fair beaters, 13, 15, 20, and 20 assaulted him and beat him, beat him to death over a fair, over robbing a few dollars from him. Kooten left behind 
a wife and four children, three, five, seven, and eight. The New York State Federation of Taxi Drivers, who I represent, we raised a quarter of a million dollars for the family. But that's not enough. That's not gonna bring their father back. Jose Alba was defending himself from an aggressor, from someone who came behind the counter to beat him to death. And he was able to grab a knife and defend himself. The victim, who was Jose Alba, went to jail. The video is what's going to set this man free. People saw what happened and everyone agreed that it was self-defense. So the district attorney dropped the charges. The, the judge dropped the charges on this case. Jose Alba ran and left the country, fearing for his life. The proof of the increase in crime is in the newspaper every single day. What more information does our governor need? The shooting caught on surveillance video happened in broad daylight in the Bronx. A Police fast say food two worker is hospitalized after being shot in the neck. The what more data is going to show other than four-year-old kids being killed in playgrounds, Burger King workers being killed at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, recently now, I think it was a McDonald's worker because he served somebody cold fries in Brooklyn. It wasn't even the person who was served the cold fries. She called her son who came to the scene and shot this McDonald's employee. This is all the evidence that we need to show that we have a problem. There is no more waiting for data. If you see flames and smoke in your house, do you wait to see if it burns down first before you call the fire department? It, it's, it's an absurdity. There's always going to be tension in, in a city like New York uh, with, with the police in some areas, but we were able to address uh, those tensions. Uh, I think that has all changed, un unfortunately. In the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, there was a huge overreaction um, on politicians throughout the country on their part. Uh, they saw that as suspicions confirmed. This is how the police treat people that they take into their custody. And we're going to have to restrict them in a whole variety of, of ways. The overreaction has caused uh, uh, crime to increase significantly throughout the country. And that's because the police have been demonized, they're held back, they can't uh, function in the proactive means and, and strategies that we had used in the past. What we've seen happened by design, which is the insidious part of it. When you attack the police and you abandon law enforcement as a city, you're going to see depolicing and you're going to see spikes in crime. And it's, it's not a Republican or a Democrat thing. We were talking about statistics, facts, and the historical record. And the historical record is very clear that whenever you do that anywhere, 
It's lower income and minority communities that bear the brunt of that increase in violence. And this is not something that's unknown. What caused New York City to be one of the most unsafe cities in the country uh, was the prior administration, uh, the Bill de Blasio uh, administration. He made breaking the law legal in New York. He basically bought a policy that basically destroyed the fabric of what New York City was when Giuliani and Bloomberg were the mayors of New York. Police officers are leaving the NYPD because they were demoralized. They were shamed. They were spit on. They were disrespected over the last eight years of the Bill de Blasio administration. He handcuffed the police department. Police officers are no longer respected in New York because you can do whatever. You can assault a police officer and get away with it and be free the next day. That's unheard of. I think that what we've learned over the last 10 years is just how fragile the, the safety and the security of the city can, can really be. Um, we remember the 70s and 80s and urban decay, and it took decades for the city with good governance and the right policing policies to really have a renaissance in the, the 1990s and through the early 2000s. But once de Blasio and the Democratic Socialists took over, the, the change was almost instant. I think that New York could be where Time Magazine and others were saying back in 1992 and 1993, New York was going to be before Giuliani became mayor and turned all that around. They didn't realize all the opposition he was getting then. And they seemed to forget that it was the policies that he implemented and Mike Bloomberg implemented and uh, Bill Bratton and Ray Kelly uh, implemented. It was those policies that made this a safer city and they're the policies that have been revoked over the last three, four years. It's unfortunate that we had a leader for eight years that basically took away the rights of victims, took away the rights of business owners, took away the rights of New Yorkers. And all he did was focus on the rights of criminals. They don't want to talk about how you actually do policing and law enforcement in a way that is a real deterrent proven concepts like stop, question, and frisk, which took thousands of illegal weapons off the streets. They don't want to talk about that. Well, the current administration here doesn't want to do the things that made New York City the safest big city in America. Now, it was done before. It can be done again. Take a look at what was done during a, a period of time and apply some of that to law enforcement in, in New York City. Uh, but you know, right now, that doesn't seem to be on anybody's mind. A lot of excuses, but uh, no real action.
Unfortunately, you have a legislative body today here in the state that is a Democratic Assembly, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic governor. And that's how you got this legislation passed. And of course, we had eight years of Andrew Cuomo fighting and bickering with Mayor de Blasio turned our city upside down. I think there's a lesson there for people, not just here in New York, but all across the country, that things can change very quickly if you allow radical far-left leaders to take control of a city. Um, and I, we saw that here in New York. Our criminal justice system is insane. It is dangerous, it is harmful, and it's destroying the fabric of our city. This bail reform law that we have wasn't designed to free people that are carrying illegal guns. It wasn't designed to free those that are inflicting pain and suffering on New Yorkers. They weren't designed to protect looters, robbers, assaulters, murderers. They were designed to protect those that were committing very low-level crimes and that couldn't afford a $500 or a $1,000 bail and were sitting at a detention center for a year or more because they didn't have dollars to, to be free on the streets. They took it to the level where if you get caught with an illegal gun, if you get caught robbing, assaulting, uh, beating, looting, robbing, you're set free. And that's not what bail reform was set out to be. As much as our governor, and uh, to some extent even our mayor, want to uh, deflect the blame, actually they're trying to deflect the blame that there's even an increase in crime. Our governor keeps saying she needs more data before she can say whether bail reform is successful or a failure. Data and statistics can be manipulated. Um, if you decriminalize something, then it's not in the statistics anymore. Um, I had a conversation with somebody. I said, extreme situation. Murder is no longer a crime for a month. During that month, 50 people get killed. No crime was committed, but did anybody die? And that's what counts at the end of the day. So your statistic sheet is gonna say there was no crimes last month, but 50 people are still dead. And that is how data and statistics can be manipulated. People are literally getting killed. Their lives are being ruined every single day because of this philosophy, this governing philosophy driven by the left in this country, and they don't seem to care. They want to tell you when, they see, when you see these spikes in crime that it's about systemic racism. What we're seeing right now is a confluence of failed social policy, welfare policy, and 
an intentional erosion of the rule of law. It's certainly the woke mentality that's permeating and how such supposedly intelligent people that are elected to office can still fall for this failed ideology baffles me. It, it absolutely baffles me. This is nonpartisan. It should outrage every American. Not only the people who are living through it, but the people who are reading it in their newspapers and watching it on their television, because it does impact all of us. We had sort of three major areas when we took uh, office in the Bloomberg administration. It was the three C's we call it. It was uh, counterterrorism, crime suppression, and community relations. And uh, I would think after 12 years, uh, the results were very impressive, if I do say so myself. I think we have to go back to bail. We have to, again, uncuff the cops, uncuff the judges. And you cannot have the type of crime that you see today. I think the bail system in the United States needs to be revisited. I think certain offenses, cashless bail should apply. Low-level misdemeanor offenses, low-level felony offenses, um, certain high-end offenses, murder cases, criminal sexual misconduct cases, um, prohibited person with firearm cases, ag rob cases, they need to have bail attached to it. I don't believe they understood the full extent of the legislation that they passed. I think they're starting, a number of them are starting to recognize that the legislation that they passed is wrong and it's bad. But for some strange reason, the incentive to change it does not seem to be there. So we need that firebrand in the Assembly and in the Senate to go after it. I think we have to change our uh, political leaders, our elected leaders, and that's, that's a heavy lift in, in New York. The uh, registration here is 61 Democratic. I think a sea change is needed and it will only come about if we have very strong leadership that will take the city through a very difficult time. We need to turn the tide. We need to get our elected officials to be law-abiding elected officials. They have their protection. They're surrounded by state troopers and NYPD officers. They're not going to ever be assaulted or hurt. So a lot of the times they don't feel the pain. The object of the game is the people of this great city and state got to wake up and put the right people in office and get the right legislation done and make sure we address those concerns. Starting this November, we start getting people in office that have some kind of common sense and grasp of just how dire our situation is. I never thought I'd want to leave New York. Um, I'm seriously considering it at this point. Although, again, being reasonable, this is not a New York issue. It's a United States issue. At some point, we have to, to, to begin to take responsibility for ourselves and our children and our own community. You know, if we don't care about ourselves, how can we expect anyone else 
to care about us. People across this nation are fed up and you're going to see them get out and vote. And they're gonna vote a Congress that will be a balance and a US Senate that will be a balance to this president. Crime is out of control in New York and criminals often receive no punishment. The city needs leaders that uphold the law and seek justice for victims. New Yorkers can lead the fight to take back their city by rejecting liberal policies and electing lawmakers who put the safety and security of citizens above all other interests. It will take strong leadership that supports law enforcement to restore peace and prosperity to this great city. Get out there and vote. You got election day, get out and vote. Make that difference for your family, for yourself, for your God.